Well, welcome to another episode of the Bears League Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Ben Ryman. Uh, on the podcast today, we have Dr. Mark Standing Eagle Bias. Welcome, Dr. Bias. Good to be here and um, very excited and looking forward to. I do have um, a correction. It's pronounced Bayes. Oh, apologies. Bayes. No uh, worries. No worries. You know, I, I just spent... Uh, the weekend organizing my records and uh i have three or four records by joan bias so i think the name has just been stuck in my head i wish we were related because i really need money so <laughs> that would be awesome <laughs> right on right on uh, <laughs> before we get started i just wanted to uh, acknowledge that i'm producing this podcast on the still the lands of the Klum and comox homoko and clay who's first nations who were uh one nation before we settlers came in stole their lands and separated them into reserves uh, I'm grateful to be able to produce this podcast on these lands and grateful for the relationship that I'm slowly building with mostly with the Kalam and community. Um, so, Mark, maybe we could just start by telling us a bit about yourself, uh, who you are and, sure. uh, and and what you do. Absolutely. Again, thank you. I uh, want to say Seigo and Tilmanam uh, to everyone. Uh, that's hello in my language. Hmm. Uh, my name is Dr. Mark Standing Eagle Bays. Uh, I am a descendant of the Mohawk and Pawnee people and a member of the Tapilam Kwawitek and Mission Indian uh, Nation in Texas. Um, I am a psychologist um, and I am currently an assistant professor of clinical and counseling uh, psychology in our program here at Bemidji State uh, University. Um, I am also a, a licensed school psychologist hmm. uh, and do have a small uh, practice that provides uh, services for uh, indigenous populations across Indian country as well as non-native students. Uh, I also am the uh, current uh, president-elect of the Society of Indian uh, Psychologists. And this is something that I truly love uh, what I'm doing and, and I'm doing what I uh, I, I really love and through these opportunities of just learning and what I'm doing, uh, there's some things that uh, I'd like to share a little bit later on a uh, a methodology that I developed that specifically works with uh, indigenous populations uh, mm -hmm. like that. So just being in a position has really given me uh, an opportunity to do that. Uh, and in this position, uh, I feel like I do have a seat at the table uh, mm -hmm. to make those changes. So I'm I'm very very grateful in what I do and also thankful for having this opportunity to share with you and the others. That's amazing. Uh, so I'm curious what uh, what sort of led you to get into the field of psychology in the first place? I think a lot of having uh, to look at what is happening, not only in my life and my family uh, mm -hmm. and in my extended family, I knew that I uh, saw things that uh, I knew that was not extremely healthy uh, with a lot of, of uh, alcoholism that's rampant across uh, Indian country, not just on Indian country, but just seeing what is happening there and the suicide and mm. uh, what is happening. I really wanted to be more uh, proactive than reactive. I think I found myself really complaining about a lot, uh, but I want to say I keep going back to that was the position uh, that I kept hearing and feeling that I really needed to do something about it uh, for uh, for my people and and to make a difference. So 
having what has happened um, really uh, a motivating factor for me to stand grounded, uh, stay grounded in what I'm doing uh, and look at ways that I can help uh, people so they can then uh, help themselves. And so this wasn't always very uh, open to uh, American Indian Alaska Natives being a psychologist. Mm. It was actually quite the opposite in that it's um, uh, it's taboo to to just those words, you know, therapy and mental health. And mm. it's just some things that we've had that just didn't connect with our people. But I knew that we had a need. I knew that we were hungry for for uh, being uh, solid and 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 being healed in what we were going through. It was just what we can do and how we can do it that we understood how that would take place. So I knew that I wanted to help and I knew that I wanted to do something about uh, about uh, uh, our people. And I found uh, just a love of understanding why people do uh, what they do. And mm-hmm. I thought that this would be a really wonderful a position that I can give back to my people. Yeah, right on. You know, I've, I've had a, a few conversations with uh, some other kind of indigenous folks that are in the field. Um, um, and you know, one thing I hear a lot of, and it's not just with indigenous peoples, I hear this a lot with, um, I've, I've talked to a lot of folks from the, from the black community as well, around kind of how, and I think you're kind of alluding to this, kind of how these kind of Western sort of helping systems, um, you know, it, it, it's difficult for these communities to, to, to kind of build trust with, with, with these groups, uh, you know, and similarly, I think we've been hearing a lot more about kind of cultural responsiveness and those sorts of things in, in our work, because, you know, a lot of, uh, we, 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 we sort of being kind of more folks like myself, Kind of go in these situations with with a, with a lot of bias um, and a lot of assumptions around kind of how things should go and how things should work, and a lot of that's based on kind of our training and the schooling and whatnot. You know, we're we're sort of taught to look at things from. And and I had a guy named Grant Bruno recently. He's a he's a, he's a PhD student at the University of Alberta. Um, um, he's part of the the I think it's the Samson Cree community and. Muscatchee is Alberta, which is sort of near Edmonton, and uh, he's got a, a autistic son, and uh, he's doing his work on on kind of on on uh, sort of the lived experiences of 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 sort of autistic folks and their families within these uh, indigenous communities um, in, in his area. And he's doing some really really fascinating work, and I'll, I'll share with you, uh, Mark, a video actually that he put out after after this that you might be interested in watching. Um, but he he really spoke about, and, and as did, did uh, Lisa Aguilar, who I had on, and some others, uh, about this deficit discourse that that sort of exists and kind of, and I think this is sort of a real Western kind of approach. We look at everything as what's the problem, what's missing, what's, you know, what's what's not available, um, you know, and what behavioral deficits are there and so on, and then try to to kind of fix those. Um, and, and he sort of said that, you know, that's just, that just doesn't exist in, in kind of his community and, um, and in, with other sort of indigenous folks that he talked to. Now, psychology, you know, is, looks, addresses things from that kind of deficit, you know, angle. I mean, that's, that's basically what we what we do here. 
I'm just curious sort of how you reconcile that you, 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 you obviously had to go through the, the training to become a, you know, a, a, a doctor and a, and a, and a, and a psychologist and, and, uh, and a school psychologist. And I imagine most of that training was not with other, you know, indigenous psychologists. I know there's not too many of you out there altogether. And we're going to talk about the society at some point here and kind of who's, who's around. How did that, how, how, what was that experience like for you? And, and, and how are you able to kind of, you know, do your work now as a psychologist, but knowing that there are all these other sorts of pieces that you 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 weren't taught about. If you're collecting continuing education credits for this episode, you'll need to enter the three secret words at www.cbiconsultants.com forward slash shop. The first secret word is sweetgrass. You know, uh, Ben, it wasn't always. Uh, clear or easy for me, uh, just knowing that uh, my educational journey mm. was through the lens of Western approach. Mm -hmm. And I was taught that what I'm learning is the right way. Mm -hmm. That was it. This yeah. is what you're learning. Yeah. And I had a lot of inner battles mm. to saying that sounds like it works there but mm. that's not going to work over here but you mm. know if i need my degree i'm going to have to jump through these hoops so mm. there was a lot of of uh just me questioning what i'm doing um is this something that i truly believe um and at a point i really felt there was a a separation of that's not who i am that is not my truth that may be your way in your position, in your education, in your language as truth. But I I was having thoughts of um, not really being true to who I am uh, and what I am learning. However, what really truly helped was all of the powerful uh, theories and we hear evidence based. That mm. is, if you want uh, it to be. Uh, working. If you want something that is proven, it needs to be evidence based, mm -hmm. and it doesn't work for us because there is no research in ceremonies and for our people. That's yes. why there's no data there. So yes. when we hear that evidence based, it has to be evidence based, or we can't use any other curriculum. For mm -hmm. example, uh, it really started to change my way of thinking and looking at uh, opportunities. Uh, to develop something that was more culturally responsive, not just mm. culturally sensitive, like I'm really sensitive to your culture, mm -hmm. uh, uh, culturally, um, uh, uh, it, it just just in ways where someone's going to be culturally appropriate. Yeah. Responsive really took that person to be responsibly, responsible culturally. So if you know what the mm. right thing is to do, then it's important, it's professional and ethical to do the right thing. So it was. I just saw this really uh, large shift of mm. truly being responsible culturally to take care of, of uh, the population or a group or an individual that we're working with. Mm -hmm. It was the best way that I could provide those services that way. So I started to hear something's called practice-based evidence, where mm. this approach was taking more of what happens, uh, more of the answers that are within the community. 
versus mm-hmm. taking something that's evidence-based from Pennsylvania and then mm-hmm. taking it all the way over to the Navajo Nation and saying, it works over here, so it's going to have to work here. And what I would mm-hmm. see is it doesn't work here. So non-Native practitioners would say, well, you're not, you're not implementing it correctly. Mm-hmm. Or maybe the Natives there aren't open to working this program yet. Mm-hmm. So it seemed like either I was a problem the native people were the problem, but it was not the instrument or hmm. the particular approach. Yes. So uh, I became more open uh, to uh, researchers, uh, uh, native researchers. It was research for us, by us. Yeah. That looked at those approaches uh, like um, uh, like Dolores Bigfoot, a huge, huge uh, research uh, pioneer that really started looking at how we can incorporate practice-based evidence. Why don't we go into the community and ask them what, what works best for the people there? And that mm-hmm. was something that really uh, helped me develop uh, the sweetgrass method. Mm. No, I, I love that. I love that. I, I love that. I think that's so important. Uh, you know, I think I had uh, Dr. Evan August on a while back uh, from uh, um, the Association for Black Psychologists and you know, he was. He, we we talked a lot about a paper he did that sort of looked at psychology research over the last sort of fifty or sixty years, and he really pointed out that you know, and it's interesting that so this whole evidence base was developed by researching psychological problems in people of color, and then researching psychological solutions. The subjects were all were all white folks. Um, mm. and, and 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 sort of how you know and 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 I think the the idea that evidence base really needs to be contextual um, um yes. and 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 you know and group by group that makes a lot of sense so maybe we could dive right into this so uh, so the, the sweet graph method it, it is something you, know, you and your colleagues have kind of developed to, to kind of address this so maybe a little bit about kind of what is the sweetgrass method? Why is it called the sweetgrass method? Um, sure. And uh, and 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 kind of how how it was developed. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, how it was developed and was just goes off of what I was sharing earlier. Mm. Really um, looked at the frustrations that I was having with my own clients and what was happening in the communities that this is evidence-based, it should work. Why isn't it working for our people? Mm -hmm. Our people are hungry for for change. They're hungry to heal, but why isn't it happening? So uh, hearing uh, researchers, non-natives saying, what we have is evidence-based, so it's working. If it's not working, it's you. Mm -hmm. So we already have it proven that it works over here Mm -hmm. uh, in Boston or somewhere, but not on indigenous or or, uh, uh, native communities. But American Indian, Alaska Native communities face many barriers and receive mental health services, right? But some of these barriers can hurt overall health um, when this happens. Mm. So I would see that the that family, relatives, uh, community members across Indian country really wanted help and what was provided wasn't helping. But it didn't mean that, well, I guess you don't want the help because it's not working. Mm. It was just how it was delivered. Mm. So the sweetgrass method grew out of frustration mm. uh, due to the barriers to the services uh, that were provided among American Indian and Alaskan uh, Natives. So that's how uh, it, it came about is yeah. really just being frustrated. And so when I would get something, just kind of stepping back for a second, sure. Western 
uh, approaches is not a bad thing. So I want to go on record just saying that I'm able to use what works and tailor it for our people. Mm. And that's where the sweetgrass method came in. So there's a lot of uh, uh, methodologies, theories that are great that I see saying this is good, but it needs to be tweaked. It's mm. almost like going into a restaurant and saying, we don't eat that food. Okay, let me, a native, be the chef, and I will go ahead as a chef and put in some of these ingredients that I know that you would like. I know you're mm. hungry, so let me fix this for you that I know that you would eat. Mm. So the sweetgrass method, first of all, it's um, uh, it's it's looking at what the sweetgrass is. Uh, and the sweetgrass is sacred, and it's a sacred herb, and it's been sacred for a long time. And it's used to purify oneself mentally, emotionally, mm. physically, and spiritually in hopes in grounding the person in healing. So I chose to use this sweet grass that we use for us in our healing, mm. no different than the clients that we serve as being sacred. Now, mm. it's not to say what they are doing may be sacred, but knowing that our creator created them as sacred, so we should still take the same approach. So when we're looking at sweetgrass, mm. it obligates us as indigenous practitioners, as non-indigenous practitioners, to take these steps for our clients, towards our clients, in a sacred manner. So this mm. approach is more of a practice-based evidence approach, um, and it includes like behavioral approaches and supports uh, derived from supportive and positive culture mm. in the local uh, society or and or community. So I have to tailor it so it's tailored for every different community. Uh, uh, and that's just to say that not all natives are alike. Mm. Uh, there's almost 600 federally recognized tribes and two over 200 state recognized tribes and a lot that are not even recognized. So going into each of the, the communities, knowing that we're using something that we know is sacred um, uh, in providing services uh, in, in an approach that we will take this as, as a sacred approach. So it looks at uh, what the sweetgrass method is, is a braid. And each of the mm. braid, which is three strands, breaks up into each strand in themselves. And the very, very first strand is the introspection. And that's mm. ourself, the mm. clinician. Yes. And it, it's a lifelong commitment to self-reflection and cultural humility. So mm. when we think of, I know it all, I know all natives, I know all mm. theories, Right. You know, we need to take a step back and say, you know, help me understand how I can help you. Tell me more about you and your people. So the first strand of, of that, the braid and the sweetgrass is all about us and, and, and grounding ourselves in cultural humility. The second mm -hmm. strand is communication. And communication is a commitment to building relationships with other practitioners uh, as well as building a culturally responsive relationship with our clients. So when in doubt, check it out. We always have to make sure we know uh, what we're saying or what we're doing. So we we consult, we mm. communicate, uh, we collaborate. So mm. the second strand is just as important. So we need to have that support and communication, uh, uh, that relationship with mm. our clients, mm. as well mm. as with our um our, our uh, colleagues. Mm. The last one seems to drop off quite a bit with other programs and that's mm. continuity. Mm. And I call this like other programs having um, 
uh, a honeymoon phase, everything starts great, introspection, yeah. communication, and then it just falls off. The continuity mm. uh, obligates us as clinicians, as practitioners, as counselors, that we have ongoing support and strategies for indigenous clients and their communities to foster long-term success. Mm. That's huge. It's like, mm. wait a minute, that means commitment? Hello, yes. In a relationship, we hope that there is a commitment. Mm -hmm. um, and continuity obligates us to make sure that we are providing the best services that we can uh, that are culturally relevant. I don't want to bring up something that uh, happened 19, throw it away. I mm -hmm. want to make sure that I understand uh, who Mark is, what tribe he's from, to ask what are some of the uh, uh, ceremonial informations that I may know so I don't offend. So mm. there, there's a there and it interweaves as any braid that we interweave ourselves, uh, the first strand, the introspection with the communication, with the uh, the ongoing of the continuity. And it continues to be braided really tight so that mm. we continue to uh, lend our thoughts and our approaches uh, together. But one thing that's really interesting and I share with others is some non-natives would say, yeah, but that may not work over here. Mm. And I said, if you look within the first strand of that braid, there are many strands. There's over 100 strands within that braid. So that means it's not just one approach that you mm. can use many approaches to tailor for uh, the individual that 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 you are working with. Um, and so how we apply something like this is, again, is recognizing one's culture and how it influences behavior, uh, which is necessary, uh, but insufficient. Right. When working with mm. uh, with uh, working effectively in a multicultural society. So it's important. Yeah. That we recognize where we're at and we recognize our own biases. Well, I thought all you guys were alike, um, but it starts, it, it starts, this whole thing starts on the jump with the initial contact and relationship that we build. And, and thus is the reason why I chose Sweetgrass is because it's sacred. Yeah. So when we start our first dialogue that we have that understanding that this is a sacred exchange between us. And I want to respect that. So. Clinicians will come in that they are, um, they they have all these alphabet suits behind their names. Mm -hmm. I know you don't. Mm -hmm. I'm a doctor. You're not. Mm -hmm. I'm right. You're wrong. And there goes that relationship. It mm -hmm. has to begin uh, at the very, very onset of interaction is that I want to honor you. And honor, I have a paper that was published. Uh, that I have as an acronym is honoring our people's experience. Mm. Oh, oh. Mm. So when we give them hope, our people, we will embrace that and we will receive it. But if if you come across as someone that is better, uh, someone that continues to dominate, to force, mm. uh, to tell us what to do, it yes. just appears to be like the same old cavalry coming back again. It's like, you know, I don't want this relationship. I we've been there, we've done that. Mm -hmm. I want to have a relationship that um, where we can honor each other, and you can respect me for my gifts of my people and what I bring to the table. There are some things that I can share that I have gifts. So mm -hmm. that that's something that that the Sweetgrass method intentionally asks uh, the practitioner to take a a, a look within their self. 
and to think about where they're at, uh, but also to bring about uh, positive uh, change with the clients, uh, indigenous clients that they're working with. Mm, no, I love that. And and it's it's a real simple kind of elegant thing. I mean, I, I've heard a lot about, I think, the three strands. I like, I, I love how you, you also use the language of strands and braids, which I think is something you know, in indigenous communities that folks understand. And, um, and I've seen, I've seen braiding used in sort of other contexts with other groups when they're talking about sort of supports in, mm-hmm. in, in, in those areas. Um, but I also really like the, that the, the, all three of them together, because I've seen a lot of work in, albeit in more recent times on self-reflection and bias. And there's been a lot of conversation, I think, since, um, uh, since the large sort of social justice movement that, was created as a result of both, you know, the George Floyd murder and um, and then the mm-hmm. uncovering of the uh, of the child graves um, um, in Kamloops, uh, British Columbia, and then again all across North America. Um, and I've seen I've seen a lot of conversations around bias and looking at your own bias and self reflecting and and doing that and doing that work in every moment of every you know, interaction that you're with somebody. So it's not just sort of before you get there or or as you're planning, but every time you go to speak a word, you need to be thinking about your bias because it, you could be influencing that thought. But then I have to read a different paper to, to talk about the collaboration piece. And then another paper to talk about sort of the continuity and and because uh, the continuity is a big one. I, and and it's, it's an area that I think my field in particular has struggled with, particularly even in our research, our research sort of, you know, the end, the end result is, is sort of three months post intervention. And then we close the door mm-hmm. sort of thing. You know, we don't think about long term sustainability of interventions quite very often and those sorts of things. So I love how kind of all, all those things are, are combined. I'm, I'm curious, um, uh, who's using this? So is, is this just sort of intended for Indigenous practitioners and Indigenous communities? Or like who, who, who's sort of meant to use it and who has used it? The second secret word is braid, B-R-A-I-D, braid. Well, it's initially, again, um, it grew out of frustration as a, a native clinician for mm. native population. Mm-hmm. So it was intended just for the people, for my people. And right. I just thought of a, of a brand, I'm going left field here, yeah. is, uh, I forget what his name is, Damon. Uh, he comes out on Shark Tank. Anyway, mm. oh, yeah. he had this brand called FUBU. Damon John, yeah. And what I loved about that was just that it's for us, by us. So I think we know what we want. Mm, mm. So I was going in with this lens of this approach of the sweetgrass method is for us. And it was written by us. Mm. And we need to be flexible just as the blades of grass are flexible. Mm. So is the sweetgrass. So mm. as clinicians, if we have a bad day, if clients are yelling at us, that if we feel like we're stepped on, that we're just as flexible as a blade of grass. If it's stepped mm. on, eventually it'll start bending back. Mm. So it also gives us um, a, as a really great example as us being flexible. We may not always agree, but you know what? We're woven together, tied together for the client that we are serving. However, mm. I've had several indigenous populations throughout the United States, in Canada, 
uh, in Australia, uh, in the Netherlands, mm. uh, and even African American professionals using the sweetgrass method. Mm. So I'm like, yes, by all means, this is something that I created, but it's to help others. And uh, for a colleague, uh, uh, Dr. Isaac, she was uh, acknowledging and looking because initially I looked uh, at partnering with her and just all of the great work that she's been doing and uh, just her intelligence in connecting with indigenous people as mm. well as African-American people and just saying, you know, we have tribes too, Mark. You know, we may not have the sweet grass, but we know how to, we know we understand weaving, basket weaving. And where it clicked was there's other tribes throughout the United States that may not have sweet grass like Hopi, but they do basket weaving. And within the weaving, they understand the complexities of flexibility mm. and the weaving of how we need to work together. Mm. So the weaving component just became we get this. It's called sweet grass, but we uh, apply everything that you're applying but we may not use the sweetgrass, but we apply right. what we're speaking of when it comes to weaving our traditions, weaving our ways of knowledge and knowing uh, as, as we see fit uh, in Australia, uh, as we see fit in other parts of, of the world. So it is an incredibly exciting and I feel incredibly blessed to have a written something and collaborated with others to look to see how we can continue to uh, have this approach grow with um, marginalized groups and other mm. groups that are really trying to look at ways of of healing and grounding self because we are sacred. So the message is there, uh, and and it started out for natives by natives, but mm. it's like for people, those that really need uh, support and and strength and guidance and motivation. Because I'm all awesome, and I, I love the idea of sort of uh, you know tailoring it to a culture and so whatever sort of group has a you know a particular you know symbolic sort of item or activity or practice that really you know brings a lot of sacred meaning to that group you can just take that sort of object idea and 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 really tailor this method using that it's it's so it's so awesome is 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 it also because another issue that i hear a lot about with with sort of native and indigenous populations is and and we'll, we're going to talk about this in a minute when we get into the society. There's so few indigenous practitioners out there. Certainly, researchers even less. Um, um, and and so there's not often there isn't necessarily going to be, you know, an indigenous individual to provide support to said indigenous community, depending on you know where folks are and and so on and so forth. Um, have you seen sort of non-Indigenous professionals applying this with Indigenous communities? Yes, and I'm glad that you brought that up because initially, uh, again, it was for us by us. Mm -hmm. uh, but the reality is this, Ben. There are not enough Native uh, practitioners across the United States and in Canada and everywhere. Mm -hmm. So it, it was uh, it behooved me to look at steps in how do I work next to my non-native uh, uh, practitioner brother or sister or professional? Because I can't be everywhere at one time. So it's important mm -hmm. that uh, and imperative to have a recipe 
for them to weave in their professional uh, approaches that would tailor uh, indigenous populations that they're serving with Mm -hmm. or uh, serving the services to. So a lot more of the writings that I started to write were geared towards non-indigenous practitioners applying the sweetgrass method. And it's Mm -hmm. not to say, hey, I think I'm Cherokee or my mother, grandmother's was a princess Mm -hmm. sometimes. It's just (laughs) you own who you are. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't talk about competencies. Uh, if you're a counselor, you had to take some tests. You mm-hmm. should have some competencies there. Mm-hmm. We're talking again about the the three strands of of how to take this initial dialogue to be not only supportive, but to be successfully uh, impacting for mm-hmm. the client's uh, success, yeah. whether it's in substance abuse or mental health. But I was taking these steps. Um, being approached by non-native clinicians saying, I work with uh, native uh, clientele and I need to know what are some of the steps? I don't want to offend. How do I say or what do I do? And it was uh, something that I really needed to uh, evaluate on how to um, have this uh, unfold. And I'm currently working on something with a colleague. Um, She is uh, Dr. Fournier. She's a clinical psychologist Mm. and uh, she's also equine uh, therapist. Mm. And we're looking at how uh, equine assisted uh, practices Mm -hmm. from those clinicians that are non-native working with indigenous that embrace the horse's medicine as stories. Mm. Uh, And so they're like, well, we have this book here. You know, how come it's not jiving how come it's not working so we're looking at how we can have um strong possibilities of of breaking those barriers of of using western approaches right Mm, incorporating the sweetgrass method which is traditional methodologies for the client so there's a lot of great things that are happening and i wish this was something that's been out forever um but i do feel extremely uh, uh, excited and blessed to have uh, the opportunity to develop to develop something like this, but to also work with non-native practitioners that embrace the importance of providing culturally responsive uh, methods to indigenous populations. No, I love that. And you know, and one last thought here, and then I want to get into the society. It reminds me of well, not reminds me, sir. It it makes me think about sort of just other fields in general. Like I, I feel like this sweetgrass method could be adapted for sort of any interaction with indigenous communities, you know, so this may, maybe it's, maybe it's doctors in a doctor's office. Maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's an accountant coming to, you know, do, do the, do your taxes, you know, uh, and, 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 and because, because of the sort of that inherent kind of, you know, uh, distrust that, that is, is, you know, and well-founded, you know, because of, you know, the, the history and the intergenerational, tra- intergenerational, intergenerational trauma that, uh, you know, has occurred as a result of, you know, colonialism and, and whatnot, you know, I, I feel like this could be used just across any sector. Mm-hmm. I, I totally uh, hear that and agree with that uh, from others saying, you know, you can use that like this. And, mm. you know, uh, the medical doctors, yeah. and, uh, Indian health services, our, our other hospitals, 
you know, what happened to the table side, uh, a bedside manner? Uh, what happened yes, to the exactly. appropriate social dialogue that like yes. kind of went out the window? Yes. But applying these, it's not just for psychologists. It's not just for um, psychiatrists or counselors. It could be used as a way to really have a healthy grounding and dialogue with mm-hmm. indigenous uh, people by honoring uh, their experiences and providing that hope to them um, and also receiving that too, coming in like I have a lot of gifts, yeah. but you're absolutely right. Uh, taking these steps like that could work in in, in any areas like that. I agree. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the society here a bit before we wrap up. So the mm-hmm. society of Indian psychologists, I, you know, I wasn't familiar with it until up until very recently. And that's, that's actually how I found your, your name initially as, as the, as the president elect. I uh, could just tell me a little bit about the society and, and sort of its mandate and, and kind of some of the work being done Absolutely. And, and, and who's involved and how many sort of how many members. Yeah. Oh yes, absolutely. There's a couple of things that, that I do want to say uh, yeah. uh, just to touch on. A lot of of what I was saying, the initial dialogue and how does that unfold and what does that yeah. look like is in something that uh, was created because I kept hearing, well, give me examples. I need to know how do we start this initial relationship? Yeah. And one of the areas that I saw and would see is with a lot of our children that are being educated. Mm. And, and there's a paper that uh, that I wrote. It's a culturally emotional learning. Oh, where yes. we incorporate the importance of culture. Right. Uh, what's really big and hot right now is social emotional learning. Yeah. And uh, researchers are trying to figure out why it's not taking off with indigenous populations. Mm-hmm. There are some areas that uh, indigenous practitioners and educators are tailoring to make it work. Um, but looking at the importance of, of culture and how it needs to be uh, weaved into the initial dialogue is key. We can't mm. just jump into a conversation uh, and address social emotional learning about issues that are happening at home when they're like, I don't even know you, number one. Number two, I don't even trust you. And then you want to get into my business. So it's trying to start this relationship um, as not sacred. And, and again, I, I think of the sweet grass as an herb that we use to cleanse ourselves. And to ground mm. ourselves, mm. and that's how I see our people as sacred, as all people as being created as sacred. And the initial dialogue that we need to have with our parents and with our students has to incorporate by acknowledging uh, and honoring who they are, mm. their experiences, their gifts, the people. But it doesn't happen. It's like let's just talk about your behavior, and let's just talk about yeah. some of the areas of concern and. You're yeah. jumping into this relationship and I don't mm. trust you. Mm. So um, so I wanted to uh, just to uh, share that uh, if any of the listeners are really wanting to have a better uh, crisp understanding of the dialogue and the process and what are those ingredients to 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 look at and, and incorporate to have a successful uh, initial uh, dialogue with uh, indigenous students and families. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And I know I know I did ask you about that earlier that I wanted to learn a little bit more about sort of cultural emotional learning. It's I, I like that concept. I think it's a good build on 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 the on the sort of current stuff around SEL. So that's great. Yeah. The third secret word is sacred. And the uh, Society of Indian Psychologists, uh 
what it's about, it's um, a society that advocates uh, for psychological well-being among mm-hmm. American Indian and Alaska Native uh, mm-hmm. people. And to look at advancing knowledge about indigenous psychology, mm-hmm. uh, we were talking about earlier, a lot of Western frame of thinking uh, that we have also our indigenous ways of knowing. Mm-hmm. And it's not always, well, uh, if you are a practitioner, let me see your license and let me see your degree where we have traditional practitioners where their classroom was out uh, in uh, outside or where they were gathering uh, and learning and understanding different ceremonies and approaches mm. where it wasn't always uh, honored and respected mm. uh, to, to have that. But the purpose for uh, the society is like to create a forum where some of our members uh, can network and support each other. We know that it's essential to have that support throughout life, mm. but as indigenous people and all of the Everything that we face, it's like we need support even on, uh, uh, what is it, uh, 5.0. We need we need it double time. We, mm. we need to have uh, that much more support um, mm. uh, for, for what we do. Yeah. Also advancing understanding uh, of the psychology of American Indian people to provide that understanding of where we're going, our position. Mm. Uh, it's just as important to look at developing or furthering developing research methods and treatments and intervention models that are uh, ethically and culturally appropriate, culturally uh, sensitive and culturally responsive mm. for our uh, for uh, for our people. So yes, there's research uh, out the yin yang. Uh, however, we're starting to see where some universities, uh, very, very well-known universities weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. We're not mm. honoring what they were saying. There, uh, we're, we're not honoring what they had proposed to be doing, mm. um, and making sure that we look uh, at ways of uh, developing research that is for us um, ethically and culturally uh, mm. appropriate is is essential. Uh, like that. So, um, also we like to contribute to the uh, scientific understanding uh, features of uh ethnicity and cultures mm. and class um among our people like that and uh let me see I'm trying to think i do know and it's 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 really really important because this is something that i needed to know is um sip was uh initiated in the in the 70s i want to say mm. mid 70s yeah i believe so over the past 45 years uh the efforts to support uh, our our community through uh, indigenous psychologies have expanded from what I believe was maybe like twenty to thirty people uh, initially. Mm. Uh, but um, uh, Carolyn uh, Atneve, she's uh, Delaware and Cherokee, and Joseph Trimble, mm. he's Lakota, uh, had the first conversation in Oklahoma City in nineteen seventies uh, and wow. established the network of mm. psychologists to support American Indians. Uh, and our needs uh, for culturally competent psychological services. So mm. their energy and their passion has given me energy mm. and passion to continue uh, this uh, this approach to provide those services that are culturally appropriate and responsive um, for for our people. So today we have about uh, 450 
to maybe, uh, yeah, 450 or so. And half of those uh, are students. Oh, wow. like 45% are wow. students. So I'm very excited about uh, having this because I mm. wish when I was a student, uh, I really should have known or I wish I would have known to tap into these services for support. Mm-hmm. Um, but our members uh, can be found, you know, all over uh, United States and in Canada, you know, working in, in different settings, uh, including uh, but not limited to educational institutions, hospitals, uh, governmental mm-hmm. agencies, some private businesses um, and APA uh, like that in many affiliated chapters uh, and society. But it's it really is uh, giving me focus to work uh, on uh, the importance of the students and how to keep them uh, abreast of what is happening, yeah. providing support uh, and feeling a, a sense of belonging. So it is something that we're really excited uh, about and um, and really looking forward to an, an amazing uh uh, uh, amazing future. I love that. And, you know, it's interesting that your, your point about sort of all the, you know, ha- almost half of them being students and, and, you know, and just having a resource sort of for folks. I imagine with only 400 ish members, a lot of these folks are probably quite isolated from people that look like them in their own sort of schools and professions and settings, um, you know, sort of if they're scattered sort of across, across North America um is there any sort of does the society have any sort of you know live events you have a conference or anything like that that sort of allows folks to get to get together and sort of maybe probably for a lot of them see see a a face that looks like them in in the field for the first time thank you so much for asking and yes we do uh it is in um it's in utah Mm. um and it's every summer in Mm. june Hmm. And uh, it, it is an opportunity for for natives, uh, practitioners to come together for students hmm. uh, and to uh, network to uh, and to uh, have opportunities to, of course, listen to what's being presented on on the latest topics, uh, but to also, more importantly, to provide that support and to check in with others and how they are are doing. So it is something that we look forward to. I know because of pandemic, as everyone else, we had to live little cloistered lives. Mm. Uh, and it was important, of course. But when we got together, it was it was exciting to see each other and to be there for one another. Um, so every year we have uh, the SIP uh, conference mm. uh, that's in uh, that's in Utah. And it's in June, like the latter part uh, mm. of June for those uh, that are wanting to attend uh, and or even submit for participation mm. is something that we uh, we look forward to. Mm. That's great because I know there's I, I'm I'm in more of the behavior analysis sort of realm and uh, I I can probably count on one hand the number of ind- indigenous behavior analysts that I know. Uh, although I'm aware there are probably more mm-hmm. from from Latin America that maybe uh, you know haven't identified as indigenous. I know that's a whole other thing with sort of the Mesoamerican folk and and not even necessarily being aware of their own indigeneity, indigeneity which is a, a whole other conversation. Uh, but I wonder if maybe a forum like this might be something that they could even look at attending. These indigenous behavior analysts that probably feel quite alone. I I know that it has. Uh, been something that's been successful yeah. uh, every other month. Uh, and, and we're looking at having something every month 
Uh, but we do have a mentoring program for students mm. that happens weekly. Mm. So we invite all the students that are mm. mentored by uh, native psychologists and really? the students, whether they're in their undergrad or grad level, um, uh, have an opportunity to have a mentor mm. uh, to guide and, and help provide uh, those uh, those steps in, in being successful. And that's uh, done online. It's a Zoom that happens uh, every every Friday. Oh, and then we also have some uh, opportunities for uh, our members and, and, and individuals to come and to take a look at uh, or participate in some uh, guest speakers that we that we have. So it is something that we want to keep uh, our our communities, our professionals uh, up to date in what is happening and sharing the knowledge in, in hopes that we can continue to participate in uh, in ways that we can help each other for the the, the individuals and communities that we are serving. Mm, well, sounds like some 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 great initiatives, and I and I hope uh, folks listening will 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 check in. Uh, Mark, this was just fascinating. I, I, I'm really glad. I know we've been struggling to find a time to, that worked for both of us. <laughs> and we finally found, found a little window here to get some information from you. Uh, the Sweetgrass method is just awesome. And, and the work that's happening at SIP is just amazing. And I'm really, you know, uh, my heart's warm to know how many students are are, are getting into the field. Or, and, and you know, I, I feel like there could be a, a nice exponential spike in 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 the world in in the in the next you know twenty or thirty years as 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 a lot of these young folks discover realize that you know this is a career I could get into this is something that I can do and and uh, and so it's awesome that you have all these things going. Um, any sort of last messages for folks before we before we end off? Well, I do want to say uh, Niawin and Nalatsam. I want to say thank you mm. uh, again, Ben, for the opportunity to. Uh, to share um, what I know uh, for for professionals and others that are listening, that there is hope um, that we are uh, in a position to uh, provide some services that are tailored for our people. And mm -hmm. we uh, look forward uh, to more opportunities in not only networking with other professionals that are working mm -hmm. with indigenous populations, but for communities and individuals uh, that need guidance, um, I, I I just say thank you for the opportunity mm. and reach out if you have yeah. any questions. Great. Well, I raise my hands for the work you're doing, and uh, thank you so much for for being on the show. Thank you again.